you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. This evening we'll be in Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now, as we've been looking at the epistle to the Colossians, Paul has been encouraging these believers to remain faithful to Christ. In the face of an onslaught of false teaching, he's pointed out to them the the glories of Christ, who he is as the Son of God and what God the Father has done for us in Christ in that he rescued us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, as he had said up in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We saw last week here in chapter 2, verse 5, how he had commended them for their good discipline and the stability of their faith in Christ, those parts of the equation, so to speak, that are conducive to victory, good discipline, Stable faith. And here in our text this evening in verses 6 and 7, he exhorts them, as we say, to keep on keeping on. You've seen the, the expression, the, the, uh, the emblem, it's got the, the British crown on it, keep calm and carry on. And in a way, Paul is saying, carry on. Keep on keeping on. He begins, you'll notice, by using that, that helpful word, therefore. In other words, in light of all that... He has just been saying, in light of the fact that he labors, as he said late in chapter 1, to present every man complete in Christ, in light of the fact that he has this great struggle going on, as he says there in the early part of chapter 2, for these Colossian Christians and those at Laodicea, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all this wealth of full assurance of understanding, in light of the fact that he wants no one to deceive them with persuasive arguments. In light of the fact that their current discipline and stability of faith gives him cause to rejoice. In light of all of this, Paul wants them to keep on going. To keep on keeping on. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Just, he says, as they had received him. They had received him, and so they were to continue on. Now, we need to note at the outset that this command presupposes the condition of these Colossian Christians. That is to say that there was nothing defective in their beginning. Paul knew and loved this man Epaphras, the one who had first evangelized these Christians. And Paul knew, therefore, that this church had received the gospel and its truth. He knew that that what they had received at the get-go was not a mixed bag, so to speak. It was the real deal. And so just look back to, to what he had said there in, uh, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and how he describes their beginning as Christians. He says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Heard of their faith in Christ, their love for the saints. That's great. Look down to chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He speaks about the gospel, which was constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you 
since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Again, the point is, Paul knew about their beginning. He knew that they had started out well. He knew that they had been well instructed and well taught. He knew how they had responded to the truth that had been proclaimed to them. And he knew the fruit that the gospel had produced in their hearts and lives. And so he says, as you began, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And in a similar vein, he had written, or would later write to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 13 and following. He says that evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceived and being deceived. But you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so in both cases, both with these Colossians and later to Timothy, Paul says, keep going, keep believing this same gospel, keep on loving the Lord Jesus, keep on loving his people. The beginning was good, the beginning was faithful, the message you received was true, so don't turn aside. Keep on going. And it's also helpful for us to note here that Paul's language is personal. He speaks not merely of receiving a doctrine or receiving a truth, but he speaks of receiving a person. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, he speaks of receiving a person. Now certainly in believing upon him, they had believed a body of doctrine, a body of truths concerning Jesus Christ. But they had received Christ Jesus the Lord personally, as a person, as Lord and Savior, as we, as we say. And if I can borrow the, word of, uh, the words of 1 Peter 1.8, though they had not seen him, they loved him. And though they did not see him now, they believed in him, and they rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory. They believed in him, they loved him, they had come to know him, they had received him not merely as an idea, but as a person, as the Lord, as the one who is in charge, the one who calls the shots, the one who has graciously and lovingly provided salvation and atonement for his people. And we should also observe here that this language that he uses of walking implies a progress, doesn't it? It implies continual movement in the right direction. As a general rule, those who are walking move. And the kind of walking that Paul has in mind here is not on a treadmill where you walk and walk and walk and stay in the same place. One of Ruby and I's favorite activities as a couple is to take walks. We, we love to walk together. And when you're walking, you're, if you're pointed in the right direction, then you're going to keep moving in the right direction. And for those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord and have received the truth as it is in Jesus, then they are to keep walking in him in the same way. They're to continue the journey, to continue their growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now Psalm 84 verse 7 speaks of those who are going up to, to the temple to worship. And it says that they go on from strength to strength Every one of them appears before God in Zion. They had strength, 
but they gained new strength. They, they went on in their journey. They continued on from strength to strength. And so it should be with us as well. We must continue on in Christ. Now, as we've seen, Paul's words here presuppose the condition of this particular church. Their good beginning, the fact that they had received the true gospel and were to continue steadfastly in it. Now, other cases may differ according to the circumstances. Sometimes, unfortunately, a person may truly receive Christ Jesus the Lord, but yet at the present be in a mixture of confusion about many things. They know, thank God, that they need to turn away from their sins and believe on Jesus Christ to be saved, but in many other areas, perhaps they're in the dark and their opinions are ill-formed, either perhaps through false teaching or just ignorance or whatever the case might be. In such cases, obviously, we don't want any Christian to continue in falsehood. We want them to hold fast to Jesus, to continue on in their repentance, and then to learn biblical truth so as to advance beyond their early, unfounded, and unbiblical opinions. But in regard to whatever is true, whatever is biblical, whatever is built firmly on that foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, whatever is built on that, let them hold fast to that and build on that and grow in that. And then as Paul proceeds here in verse 7, he shows us how we are to do this. That is to say, how we are to, to walk in it. And he says there, having been firmly rooted, being built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Now, in verse 7, Paul uses two metaphors here to describe the way in which we are to walk in Christ. We're to be rooted in him, rooted like a tree. We are to be built up in him, built up like a building which rests on a firm foundation. Now, obviously we know that one can carry metaphorical language too far and take it to an unhelpful extreme and derive meanings from a metaphor which the Holy Spirit never intended to put there. But metaphors do mean something, and they are put there for a reason, and these two metaphors here are worth our consideration. And so let's think about this. What does it mean to speak of roots or being rooted? What does it mean to speak of a building being, being built up? Well, when we speak of roots on a tree, we're talking about the means by which they gain chiefly two things. One, life, and two, stability. To speak broadly, if the roots of a tree are destroyed, two things are going to happen. It's going to fall over, and it's going to die. But when all other things are working as they should, and let the listener understand, there's a lot of reasons for which a tree can die, but if all other things are working as they ought to, and the tree remains rooted, then it's going to remain upright, and it's going to continue to remain alive. It remains upright because its roots are in the soil, and they're holding it firmly in its place, and it remains alive because its roots are drawing in the water, drawing in the nutrients that the tree needs to stay alive. And in that sense, we can understand, can't we, how the metaphor is applicable to the Christian life. A Christian must be rooted in Christ. 
The roots of our faith must be reaching out, reaching around, and as it were, clinging tightly to Christ. Because he is the one from whom we draw our life, and he is the one who will keep us standing. If not, if we are not rooted in Christ and clinging tightly to him, we'll be like a tree on those eroding hillsides. Maybe, maybe you've seen a hillside uh, along a riverbank or, or something to that effect where the water just, just washes out under a tree, under it, washes again and again and again, and the roots are exposed, and then finally, what happens? The tree, the tree falls over. And similarly, in regard to a root-drawing life, a Christian must have roots reaching out, reaching around, clinging tightly to Christ so as to draw life from Christ. In the same way that a tree derives, the, it derives its life by the nutrients and the water conveyed to it from the soil through the roots. And this is what Jesus was getting at in John 15, 5, when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Certainly the metaphor is different. You've got vine and the branches. You've got uh, a tree and roots being rooted in Christ. The metaphor is different, but the truth is the same in both cases. We derive our life from Christ. That's the truth which both verses are teaching. We draw our stability and our spiritual life from Him. This means that we must commune with Him. We must hear His word and obey His word. We must believe continue to trust in him. We must seek his gracious aid and help and recognize, as Jesus himself said, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And similarly, Paul uses this metaphor of being built up in Christ. We're to be built up in him just as a building is raised firmly on a solid foundation. And so too are we built up in Christ as a structure that grows taller and taller as it is built and also becomes more and more secure with all of the pieces of the building being nailed, screwed, bolted together and all of the supports being added. With every piece that is added, the structure grows more solid than it was before. Now let me be clear, I lay no claims to being a great carpenter nor even to being a good carpenter. But I did do a little bit of building this past spring or, or uh, early summer. I scrounged the, uh, the pallet that our, that our playground had been delivered on. And so I, I scrounged that and took it home. And I used part of it to, uh, to build, some, build some walls on our children's play fort, tree fort. It's kind of a, kind of a freestanding structure a few feet high. And so I wanted, wanted to scrounge the pallet to, to build something a few feet higher so that I could put a, put a roof on it. And as I first got this thing up there and, and put it up on top, it's, it's pretty wobbly, but as I started putting the nails into it, nailing it in different places, and then as I started putting the, the rafters over top of it and putting them with, with each piece, the stability of the structure increased. And so it is with us in Christ. The more we are built up in Him, the greater our stature and also the greater our stability. The more we grow, the more solid we are. It is in this way, being rooted and built up in him, that we are, as Paul says next, established in the faith just as you were instructed. 
The way to be established in the faith, the way that we walk in Christ, is to cling tightly to him, to draw our life from him, just like tree roots in the soil. The way to be established in Christ is to be built up in him, to be continually strengthened by every nail, by every joist that is added, being strengthened even as our stature grows, as we grow up in all things into Christ. And notice here again in verse 7 how he directs them yet back again to how they were taught. He points back to the truth that they had heard. And I think this is helpful for them to remember how they had been so well taught so that they would not listen to the voices of the false teachers who were coming in seeking to bring in new doctrines. Instead of something new, he points them back to to something old. When, uh, when John Pearson wrote his exposition of the Apostles' Creed in 1659, he noted in the, uh, the introduction or the preface to his work that there can be no important truth in Christianity which is new. And anything that is truly new is certainly false. In other words, it's all here in, in Scripture. It's already been given. If anything comes out and presenting itself as, as truly new, it's certainly false. The truth of God's word has been given to us from the days of the apostles. And notice, last but not least, that, that final thing that Paul says there in verse 7, this final mark that he gives of how a Christian is to walk in Christ. He says there at the end of verse 7, overflowing with gratitude. As Christians, we are to be a thankful people. We must continually remember that all that God has given to us generally is a gracious gift. And particularly what he has given to us in Christ for our redemption is an even more abundantly gracious gift. I read Psalm 107 at the beginning and he, uh, the writer there opens that psalm by saying, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. And if you are familiar with, uh, with Psalm 107, the, the writer there describes four, four groups who, who get, in, get into trouble and seek the Lord's face for deliverance, and they are delivered. And there's this fourfold refrain that says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. There's a fourfold refrain of that. That should be ringing in our hearts as well. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. I know that life can be hard, very hard, even for Christians. Sometimes life is especially hard because we are Christians. But whatever our lot, we should be overflowing with thanksgiving abounding in thanksgiving. We should be constantly recalling to our minds that for which we ought to be thankful. Let's just run through the list. We have Christ. We have new life in him. We have the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have his righteousness imputed to us in that we are justified by faith. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit through whom we've been born again. We've been born of the Spirit. And the Spirit is now at work in us, sanctifying us, conforming us to the image of Christ. And because of the gracious gift of God to us in Christ, we don't get those things that we deserve. Hell, judgment, and so forth. 
There are plenty of other blessings in this life besides these, but you see the point. We are richly blessed, and therefore we should be overflowing with thanksgiving. And so this, beloved, is how we ought to walk in Christ. We're to be rooted in him, we're to be built up in him, and thereby established, thereby strengthened in the faith, as we were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. May our great Savior graciously grant that it would be so with us, that we would be the kind of people that Paul describes here. May God grant it so. Let's pray. Father, we know our need. We know that we are so liable to blow with the wind, that we are so weak in ourselves. And so, Father, we pray that we, we would be this kind of people, these who are rooted in Christ, clinging to him, drawing our life from him as a tree draws its life from the ground. Lord, we pray that we would be built up in him, that we would be strengthened more and more, that we would indeed go on from strength to strength the longer we walk with Christ. Lord, we, we pray that you would keep us overflowing with gratitude, with true thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. Let us be ever mindful of your blessings. We give praise and we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.